All right, real quick, people, before we get into today's show, we've just released a new course, Periodization for Periods, all around how to train women around their monthly cycle, and we've got it on special. If you're interested, click the link in the show notes. You are now listening to the Fitness Education Online Podcast, the podcast where fitness professionals go to grow their fitness business. If you're in the fitness industry, you'll find tips and strategies from proven business experts. Now, let's start the show. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fitness Education Online Podcast. I am super excited because we've got an awesome guest on the line this week speaking about a very different topic. A lot of the things we speak about on this podcast are very, very physical. It's, you know, it's resistance training. It's how to get stronger. It's how to get faster. It's how to lose weight. Or we have physiotherapists on here someone's got an injury we need to rehab that injury but one thing we haven't really covered a lot of is invisible illnesses so the person i've brought on today is an invisible uh, illness expert she's an exercise physiologist she's a speaker she's an educator and she's got a cpd course on the topic as well so she knows a, a thing or two about it so without further ado let me introduce the one and only jennifer smallrich jennifer how are you I'm really good, Jenna. Thanks for having me today. No, thanks for coming on. Before we dive into invisible illnesses, do you want to let the listeners know a little bit about yourself? Who are you? Where Where are you based? What do you do? Yeah, for sure. So I'm based in Melbourne and I studied exercise physiology at Deakin um, in 2013-2014. And when I first graduated as an exercise physiologist, I knew about invisible illnesses, but I thought, oh, well, that's that's for someone else, you know, who's got a bit more special interest and it was a bit more niche. So I started really general and then I noticed that a lot of my caseload actually started to become conditions of pain and fatigue and dizziness and the like. So since then, my practice, the way that I practice has really evolved and I've started to mainly just see people with chronic invisible illness. But over that time, since I graduated, I have taught at uni, I've worked in corporate health. I've done a little bit of hospital work as well. So I, I like to get my toe in all areas, but now I'm all in in the chronic invisible illness space. Awesome. Well, let's speak about that space there. We spoke a bit offline and you mentioned there's about four or five big um, invisible illnesses. Do you want to let us know, let us know what they are. And even before we dive deeper, just a, maybe a sentence or two on each one. So everyone's kind of aware of what they are. Yeah, definitely. So I'd say the big four and five that we're seeing coming through most predominantly are firstly, it can sometimes be called MECFS or some people would know it colloquially as chronic fatigue syndrome. And in a sentence, they are the people who feel a lot worse. They feel very unwell after exertion. So after doing something physical or mental, they can experience what we call a crash. So that's our, and amongst many other symptoms, that's our chronic fatigue syndrome cohort. Second big one I'd say we come across is POTS or postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And they are people who feel quite dizzy or quite unwell when they're upright for long periods of time. So can have a racing heart or breathlessness or eventually can feel quite fatigued because of that phenomenon. Next in line, I suppose, we have connective tissue disorders such as hypermobility spectrum disorder or Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And they are very bendy, hypermobile people, but it's not just 
hypermobility or flexibility. It comes with maybe some symptoms of pain or dislocation, subluxations in their joints, as well as other systems of the body that can, can go awry there. Next in line, we've got fibromyalgia, which maybe people would be more familiar with um, of knowing someone or a family member or a friend who's got fibromyalgia. It's a real widespread pain condition, but also comes with brain fog and fatigue. And then most, I guess, topically and recently, the new kid on the block is long COVID. And long COVID's behaving a little bit like chronic fatigue syndrome and a little bit like POTS. And it's all swirling around and becoming its own post-viral entity. So that's something that as a PT, you might actually be hearing a little bit more of as more people maybe get COVID but don't recover to where they hoped they would be. Do you know those stats off the top of your head? It doesn't even need to be regular stats, but just in terms of people you see, out of those five, did you order them like in most prevalent to, to lowest? or? Ooh, Probably, I, 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 there's a couple of things with that though as well. I feel, oh, maybe it is long coat because I feel there could be a difference between if you have that condition, but also if you see an exercise physiologist who has that, you know, there could be, because it obviously gets to a certain point where the, but anyway, you tell us about the prevalence on those. Yeah. So because I am, I guess, known for helping people with those conditions and there's a lot of word of mouth that goes on, I'd say prior to COVID, I was seeing a lot, a lot of MECFS, that chronic fatigue cohort, because as an exercise physiologist, I guess, ironically, I wasn't doing much exercise with those people. I was doing a lot of lifestyle support because exercise isn't really just the number one thing we can do. There's so much more. And now I'd say my books and my diary is slowly shifting to be a little bit long COVID heavier because I did a presentation, for example, about long COVID and that sparked some interest. So, and then both of those conditions can have POTS as a background or as a, another condition as well. And then, of course, there's the pain cohorts of hypermobility and fibromyalgia that that are always kind of emerging, even for people who aren't invisible illness specialists. Think about PTs or physios or osteos who are seeing people with chronic pain conditions. So I think we're going to see a rise just in awareness. Um, it may not represent the true prevalence, but more and more people are becoming aware that these conditions exist and they might actually find they get diagnosed, whereas they didn't used to yeah. be able to follow on with anyone. Yeah, makes sense. All right. Yeah. Let's speak about it in a practical sense for a personal trainer. So pretty much every personal trainer, every gym you go to, there's going to be a pre-screening form. We use the APSS, similar to what exercise physiologists use. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, if any of these conditions come up, what do we need to do as a personal, not even the training side of things, just the medical referral side of things? Someone says, yes, I've got long COVID or yes, I've got, um, you know, CFS. Do we, tell us about what we do. Is it straight away medical referral? Is it GP? Do we ask further questions to determine? What's your take on that? Yeah, it's a really interesting space. And same with exercise physiology. If someone comes to see us and they declare that they've got one of these conditions, as an EP, we feel like we've got a bit of kind of permission to continue. If someone were to be seeing a PT, I'm hoping and assuming they've got a good medical team behind them. And gotcha. maybe even exercise has been suggested by like a physio, a doctor or an EP. Yeah. So when it comes to things like record keeping and, um, you know, to send someone back to their GP, 
I wonder about that because some of the doctors don't really know that they might not be actively managing this condition with the client. The mm. client might be doing a bit of self-management. So I think using your clinical and professional and personal judgment, for example, if they had POTS and they have a cardiologist, I think it's worthwhile getting some clearance on file from the cardiologist um, yeah. given that it is a heart condition. If someone's got fibromyalgia and they've had it for 10, 15 years, yeah. you'd go through your basic screening anyway for high blood pressure or high cholesterol yeah. just in case there were other flags. But actually a lot of the time it is quite safe to proceed in and we'll talk about you know what that looks like from an exercise perspective. But yeah. I think you'll find that most people's doctors would be quite supportive and open to someone engaging in physical activity. Yeah, gotcha. But we still should get that clearance, right? It's not just like, right, you know, okay, your doctor will be all right. We've got clearance. Or as you mentioned, they might have already come with with a letter. You know, yeah, hey, right, exactly. You know, my, my, yeah, awesome. If it's been recommended, even, and that could be from an allied health professional, like a physio or an EP who's kind of coordinating their care. For example, if I had a client who wanted to go, well, actually this happens all the time. I have clients who go, into a gym setting and I sometimes will write a letter just for the PT to know, you know, the ins and outs of this condition and what to that's encourage great, and what to avoid. From the fitness side of things, that's great oh, we good. get that from an EP. Yeah. Yes, I think it's only a positive and it's really yeah. empowering for the PT then to, to be educated but then to take, take the lead because you're in the gym with this person and you're yeah. seeing them on a regular basis, I think yeah. that's the best thing possible. And also, I'll just give you some background on like the scope of a personal trainer. So yeah. we can't train high-risk clientele independently. So there's kind of mm. two things there. It's kind of like, okay, well, we need to determine, is this person high-risk or not? Uh, and usually the way we do that is from medical from a medical profession. The referral letter that I like to use is the exercise is medicine one because there's yeah. a there's a specific box on there that's like, this person is cleared to train in a clinical setting or this person is cleared to train in a non-clinical setting, which I think is great because, as you mentioned, yeah. very few medical professionals are going to say don't exercise, right? Exactly. Like, and, yes. and, um, but the question shouldn't be should they exercise or not. It should be should they exercise in a clinical setting or not. So I like that because that kind of determines if they're high risk or not. But then the other thing is independent prescription. Because that person can be high risk, we can still train them as a personal trainer, providing we've got a program from an EP or, you know, from a physio or, or whatever it may be. So, yeah, love those there. Is there any – or what situations, Jennifer, would you say – let's say you do get a letter from – let's just say a GP, to call it simple. Um, mm. The GP says, yes, this person is cleared to exercise. But the personal trainers may be thinking, oh, I don't know, I'm not quite – confident with this condition it looks high risk i haven't dealt with it before what would be your advice there should that always be a you know no refer to an exercise physiologist i'm not comfortable or what do you because i think the other thing to think about there is it's kind of like the personal trainer says no i can't do it and the person trains on their own is that better mm -hmm. <laughs> you know so what's your kind yeah. of take there oh yeah it's a really interesting conundrum isn't it because we can't actually stop that person from being an independent yeah. person in the world and exercising in any which way. Yeah. So I think any amount of oversight is better than none. But yeah. if you are feeling unsure in your clinical skill set and you've got the GP clearance, the person 
in front of you, if they're if they're seeking out your service, they are your wealth of knowledge. Because what yeah. we find in the invisible illness world, and it's kind of one of the issues as well, is that no two people are alike, even yeah. with the same condition. So I think it would be really meaningful and powerful to ask the questions and maybe be a bit vulnerable of um tell me what the condition is like for you and what are the potential risks that you could see for you engaging with exercise. They just know their body and we need to respect and really admire the fact that they're wanting to do something proactive. Yeah. Um, but I think asking those questions, I think about my caseload and depending on the person, they would say, you know, I'm a, I can't do a particular exercise because I'm a subluxation risk at my shoulders yeah. or if I get up too quickly, I get dizzy. Yeah. They will, they'll tell you. And if they're not sure and you're not sure, collaborating with a local exercise physiologist, for example, yeah. even for an assessment to then refer back to you, how beautiful would that um, yeah. level of care and concern be? Yeah, that's great. And I have a few EPs on on this show. I don't know, do you know Jason Gardner? I had him on just yesterday. Oh, you know him? Yes. Yeah. Oh, he's fantastic EP. Yeah. So similar kind of thing. He's like, hey, I get so many you know, cancer patients. I can't, you know, most of them, and some of them need to train here, but a lot of them are like, hey, I want to train at my local gym. He essentially, let me do an assessment, right? Let me go, personal trainer that I know and I trust. Let me recommend here. Yes. Here's what the person is. So yeah, I love that. Awesome. All right. Now let's go to the, the next stage. So let's say, you know, the person's got an invisible illness. Uh, they've been cleared by a medical professional. The personal trainer starts working with that person. What do we need to be careful of? And maybe maybe we break it down diseased up by just, you know, right, you got chronic fatigue. What are some things you need to be, and we, we go through that. Does that work with yeah, you? Yeah, I would love that. And if you're listening along and you're trying to differentiate between the different conditions, take notes. Or if you're, you're yeah. listening and driving or walking, come back to this because this is going to be section by section. It'll be, um, I think, really worthwhile knowing. So if we start with chronic fatigue syndrome, the most important thing to know is a symptom or a phenomenon called post-exertional malaise. And that's when someone can feel like they have the flu or they feel really unwell, as I said, when they've done too much of something in their life. So I guess as a PT, that might be the type of day where a client cancels their appointment. And I think that is the best thing they could do in that moment. If they're experiencing post-exertional malaise, we do not encourage pushing through trying hard, straining, anything like that. But if someone knows their symptoms well and they come into the gym and they're having that post-exertional flare-up, you might call it, they might opt for and you might help them with a really gentle you know, floor-based session of stretching or releasing um, if they feel comfortable with that. On the flip side, if you're seeing someone with chronic fatigue syndrome on a good day, there is still a lot of merit in not going, you know, too high or trying to get any PBs or it's more about consistency and steadiness over time rather than it's a good day, let's smash it because there is some evidence about going into the anaerobic energy system that could be a little bit more prone to flaring up with these conditions. So even when someone's really motivated and they're feeling like, yes, I feel good today, I think it's your duty of care as a PT if you're working with that condition to actually rein it in just a bit we want to feel good during and we want to feel good the next day and the next day we're not here to i guess get in that typical push fitness yeah, mode 
especially as a personal trainer. Like maybe different if you're an EP, you can, you know, um, um, you can, you can be, a, you've got a bit more knowledge on when to go a bit harder and a bit, but I think as a PT safety first, you know, if you're not yes. sure, just drop down a little bit. And if that person does want to go, you know, that little bit harder, Hey, check mm-hmm. with an EP or whatever it is beforehand. Yeah. And eventually if they're looking after the- their symptoms and they're really symptom aware they've probably learned the hard way that if they push through they can feel a bit worse the next day which is not the way a typical um person without cfs would respond to exercise so they've probably they may be quite aware of their limits and it would be a really it would be really best practice to follow up one to two days later as a pt to maybe text message or email how did you feel after our session? I think that would go a long way yeah. in informing what you do the next time. Yeah. And to be fair, for the PTs listing, I'd even do that every client, you know, yes. if it, even if 100% <laughs> healthy, send that text message, but especially if they have something like chronic fatigue. And I think also with chronic fatigue, it might be a consistent thing. So let's say someone comes in apparently healthy, all right, after the first session, how was it? After the second mm-hmm. session, how was it? After the third, if they said, yeah, Jono, I'm fine. You probably don't need to do it every session for the rest of your life, but maybe with chronic fatigue, you would keep it a little bit more until you've you've got that going on. Let's take a quick break. When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. That's exactly right. Yeah, so it is. You're right. It's a it's a best practice thing across the board if you're looking after humans just yeah. to check in because exercise can be really powerful, as we know. Yeah. It can bring up a lot of big changes in the body. So that's your chronic fatigue cohort, and basically the word there is go conservative and ask yeah. the person in front of you. Yeah. If we go to number two, which was pop remembering that this was more of that the person who can have the high heart rate or if you've ever had someone in a session get up from the mat and go oh I'm a bit dizzy um that can happen to people without POTS but particularly people with POTS so if they've been diagnosed and they they might even be on medications um the main thing to remember is that the upright position is going to be the most difficult so treadmill elliptical upright cycle squats standing overhead press that's that would be quite high level for someone with pots because being upright is the hardest position to be in but think about as a pt there are so many great options you could have recumbent bike rowing machine floor-based strength machine-based prone hammies leg press yeah lots and lots of ways to not exacerbate the symptoms um some people with pots may also opt to wear a heart rate monitor. Most people have a smartwatch these days. Mm. And you could just check in after sets or between um, exercise bouts themselves and just check on check in on that heart rate. And they might know a number where if they go above that, they might feel a bit lousy afterwards. So mm. you know you can ask for RPE and how, how hard was that exercise. But for POTS, the heart rate 
for the if they're monitoring could be really powerful data as well. Now, is that so? I know another common time where that symptom might occur is low blood pressure. They're they're not related. They're completely different. You, they you get are that for a different reason, right? You're exactly right, and that's where it's interesting because low blood pressure is a different phenomenon. They're actually a little bit higher risk of fainting. Someone yeah. with POTS is more likely to have what we call an adrenaline surge and they could then feel really tired afterwards. Um, but gotcha. the treatment, for example, um, moving, you know, changing positions slowly, yeah. having lots of water, maybe some electrolytes, they ring true for both POTS and low blood pressure. So you might even proceed the way you would with a low blood pressure yeah. client no rapid transitions movements like burpees are going to be quite triggering if they yeah. haven't got well managed pots um but the evidence around exercise and pots is actually really strong for building up cardiovascular capacity yeah. and building up muscles of the legs and the core because that squeezes on the blood vessels and can help someone have less episodes of that high heart rate tachycardia that's great Awesome. Yeah. All right. Oh, just one question I was going to ask you. I don't know if this fits in this realm at all. Does vertigo fit in this realm at all? Or is that something complete oh. in terms of invisible illnesses in general or POTS in general? Or where does that kind of fit in? Slightly different beast. Definitely okay. invisible in the way that we describe invisible illness of like they might look healthy, they yeah. might look okay. Um, yeah. But if someone's being diagnosed with vertigo, I would be working with their, it's called a vestibular physiotherapist who oh, can help. That's right. um, yeah. Okay. So, and they would have some, uh, also some guidelines around not getting up too quickly and no rapid yeah. head turns, but um, you're that's not wrong. It's kind of, yeah. yeah. It's, it's all in that category of people who might present quite well, but they have some triggers they need to be aware of. Yeah. Gotcha. And random question here. Someone does, um, someone does have vertigo they probably wouldn't go to an EP probably wouldn't deal with him. It'd be more just straight to the physio and then maybe the the vestibular physio and then the vestibular mm. physio will probably write the program. That's been my experience. We yeah. certainly learn about it at uni, but not in the way that the physios who deep dive, like yeah. there are full in Melbourne, there are some specialized vertigo clinics, for example. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I tend to get my guidance from whoever's seeing them because yeah. I don't want to make that dizziness worse either. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. All right. Let's go down the list. Hypermobility. Yeah. So as I said, there's that hypermobility spectrum disorder and then there is Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and that person would be coming in and they would be diagnosed with that. So they would know really what's going on for their body. Still very appropriate to exercise with either of those two conditions but as I said, it's not just about being a bendy person. Mm. It often comes with a whole cascade of symptoms. So you would, again, you would assess the person in front of you. They may have a history of being a dancer or a gymnast or um, even a circusy kind of contortionist. They tend to be the really mm. hypermobile people in our society. And when it comes to exercise prescription, you want to have them building up stability and strength yeah. and proprioception like balance work or um, body awareness work. So I think PTs are so well-placed. If you assess the person in front of you and let's say they're really prone to like shoulder subluxations, think but about how much. They'll have specific 
uh, they'll say, hey, I'm hypermobile. I've got, you know, Ellis syndrome. I'm hypermobile in my left shoulder. Is that, or are they yeah. the whole body? What it tends it? to be their whole body. Oh, but in God, particular, okay. they might have like a recurring injury site that's to do yeah. with their sport or activity. So that's where if they come in and they've had like, I would always ask, even as an EP, have you been prescribed a program by a physio before? Because let's, let's fold that into your EP or PT program. Um, yeah. You certainly don't have to reinvent the wheel for if they've sought treatment before. Um, if they're feeling pretty symptom-free and they just want to get fit and strong or whatever their fitness goals are, you would just proceed in a way that it's actually okay to go into their hypermobile range. So it's okay for them to do their full, they'll have a very large range of movement. If you assess them, they'll be the bendy ones. They can do all the party tricks. It's okay to get strong through the whole range of movement. Um, just think about something which we already do, uh, like a leg press, they're more likely to lock out their knees. And we want to perhaps educate around finding that safe limit and being strong throughout. Um, the other thing to watch with hypermobile syndromes is that they are more likely to have POTS, which is what we just discussed. So you could easily apply your POTS principles of low transitions, legs, core, cardio. You could They would benefit from that immensely. Gotcha. Now I've got a question here, Jennifer. This is going to be a blanket one as well for everything. The answer is obviously going to be it depends, as it is for most people. But if you give us some general information here, people that have invisible illnesses, is it still appropriate for them to do things like group fitness classes, boot camp classes? That's not necessarily a one-on-one. -on -one. So yeah, they've gone to the gym, they've ticked the the thing or whatever, but it's not like the the group fitness instructor running that class has done an individual assess. There's 20, 30 people in that class, all different levels. The instructor yes. will ask at the start, hey, anyone got any conditions? That person says, hey, I got chronic fatigue syndrome. Would you say it's appropriate for them to do that class? The answer obviously depends, but I would love to get your thoughts yeah. there. Or even just from the group fitness instructor side of things, what are some maybe simple questions they could you, you think they should ask to see if that person's suitable? Or if they say, hey, look, I'd probably recommend you do some one-on-one -on -one stuff first. Yeah. Well, firstly, I'm a big advocate for empowerment and independence. Like my yeah. hope is that people with invisible illnesses can access group fitness and they can access appropriate leisure time activities, no matter what it might be in the physical realm. So I think they're the, they're the type of person to watch in a group fitness class. If they're a hypermobile person and we're talking body pump, for example, um, just checking if it's possible as a group fitness instructor, queuing in like we're going to do a slow and controlled movement or we're just going to control the bar or slow on the way down, which I find is often queued for anyway. If they are a recurrent injurer or if they just keep pulling up not quite right from group fitness, that's where the person I think would, would pull themselves out and look for another avenue or the instructor might just gently, you know, if they keep hearing a new injury or a new symptom coming up, I think we're well within our rights to say, hey, I'd love for you to actually get back in with a one-on-one, -on -one, whether that's a PT or an EP in your setting. So, but then if I, I think about one of my, any of my clients, if they wanted to attend group fitness for financial, social yeah. enjoyment reasons, 
I would feel really comfortable in t- breaking down the class with them yeah. and giving them their own considerations. Yeah. And that's that's what I found as well in my group fitness instructor days. Most people that do that are usually pretty good. You know, hey, John, I've got this condition here, but I know how to manage it. I've been exercising for years. Are you okay if you say something, if I do something else? I'm, I'm not being rude. I'm just doing it because of – so I find a lot of people are good there. And also just I'll share my, my philosophy. I think that – um, exercise is a really good thing for most people, right? I'm sure you'd agree. That's why you're an exercise physiologist. And yeah. I, I think it's important not to put too many barriers in place for people. Yes, we want safety, scope of practice, risk management, duty of care. But end of the day, like we want to kind of put as little, in my opinion, I think we should be putting as little barriers as possible. Like someone wants to exercise. No, you can't train here. Go and get, go and see an EP, you know, no, you can't do a group fitness class or go and get all these like, yes, this, this place where that's important, but I think it's important just to exercise is a good thing. Let's try and put as little barriers in, in place as possible. Absolutely. I share that philosophy because I've also seen what it is like for someone to have barriers and fear and then fear of engaging in an activity ultimately sets the nervous system to perceive danger rather than safety and lo and behold we know that can ramp up a pain experience or a fatigue experience so I think we all have such a beautiful role in being safe um, supportive people and helping someone find their own way with their relationship with exercise we don't need to withhold or make it too restrictive or too many any um barriers as you said yeah. let's get moving in a way that works yeah love it all right let's yeah. move down fibromyalgia i think we're up to fibromyalgia so these are the type of clients that whether they're diagnosed or not sometimes we call it a pain that wanders throughout the body so it could be the lower back and then the next week they have a sore neck then it's a sore knee a hip i mean name your joint name your body part And in fibromyalgia, the pain wanders because it has become, the body has become what we call centrally sensitized. So there is more likelihood of having a pain experience in in response to things like a temperature change. So sensitivity, the cold results in pain. Maybe doing an unfamiliar exercise, instead of having DOMS, it could be considered a flare-up sensation. So working with people with fibromyalgia is about maybe like chronic fatigue syndrome, not looking to push. Anytime we push through, it often comes back and bites us. Um, We want to be steady, consistent. Things like stretching can feel really good for someone with fibromyalgia because they can feel really tight. If you have access to a warm space, um, depending on where you work, if there's a heated area and they prefer the heat, that's a really lovely place to do some stretching or release work. But the evidence for exercise and fibromyalgia says that you can do aerobic, you can do strength, but it's more about the person feeling safe, supported and doing it on a regular basis. So finding what works, um, that's a really blanket answer, but it's probably because everyone with fibro will have their own set of triggers and their own set of relievers. Gotcha. All right. Final one, long COVID. Long COVID. So basically follow the guidelines for chronic fatigue syndrome and follow the guidelines for POTS and listen to the person in front of you in their unique set of symptoms. The only uh, extra consideration we're finding in long COVID is that there's more likely to be a lung or respiratory factor going on because of the nature of the virus. So, but then again, exercise is really good for that side of things. 
they might have a puffer, whether it's a reliever or a preventer, being really clear on file about what their protocols are because they might present like an asthma person. Um, and we are finding that people, yeah, are responding to exercise with long COVID by doing it in a really paced way. So, again, no extremes, just looking at their capacity, going slightly under it, building in some functional strength, you know, getting around the house is the current target or getting back to a physical activity goal. Um, because it's so new, we don't yet have any clear-cut guidelines other than look at who's in front of you and try not to bring on a flare-up or post-exertional malaise for that person. Gotcha. Awesome. All right. Well, awesome summary there, Jennifer. I'm sure people listening to this are like, all right, that's great. I've got the basics, but yeah. I really like this or, or I want to learn more about this. You've got a course on this topic, right? That's right. Yeah. The Tell company us. that we run that through was born out of this absolute necessity. So as an EP, my colleague Florence Kelly and I realized that we had done a lot of self-study and she mentored me but then there was no one else really out there doing this mm. nature of work or there were clinics or specialists, but there wasn't really a united way that you could learn about these conditions. So we yeah. thought that's a good way to help more people. If our yeah. books are full, we could help the health professionals and the fitness professionals. Um, so our company is called Connection Medicine Co. And we run a weekend course. We just had one of the weekends just gone. Actually, it was beautiful. And we go through the conditions in depth and the really practical strategies in depth, which I would see that a PT, given that if you've got a loyal client, you see them maybe more than any other health professional. Mm. So you are so well placed to weave in conversations about pacing and relaxation and sleep. You probably do that sometimes um, and you're already exercising with them. So that's connection medicine and that's why we exist. We do our course, but then we also have had experiences of going to different workplaces and running in services. So we're really passionate about education and upskilling. Do you question that all your courses are face-to-face? -face? Do you have any online ones? We are currently face-to-face mainly because the energy in the room I think is really beautiful and special. Yeah. But as we know, coming out of COVID, there's so much value in online learning. Yeah. So we don't currently have an online offering, but it's certainly on our agenda because we want to reach more people. Yeah. And maybe like anyone in this space, we want to make sure like if we're putting something online, we want it to be pretty good. Yeah. So our current face-to-face -face offering is our real flagship. That's yes. what we what we stand by. But I would say watch this space and that is totally um up to us getting into gear and recording stuff, as I'm sure you're familiar with, Jono. That's what I do all day, every day. So <laughs> I'm going to have a conversation with you after this. Um, but <laughs> when, you, when, when you say watch this space, where are we watching? Where do we go to? Someone's Either they want to do the face-to-face -face course or they want to you know, keep in touch on social media and get some tips there or see if, if any online things come up. Uh, where do we go to follow you? Yeah, well, we've got a website like our good businesses. We are www.connectionmedicine.co. On Instagram, we are connection underscore medicine. And I think if you type connection medicine into Facebook, it would link in with that in the magic of social media as well. Um, so they are our main channels. We have like an email list, but also also, we have an inbox where people just reach out. And if you have a client that you're unsure about or something you want to learn more about, this is our passion. I, I love when people are interested because it tells me that the people I look after 
are going to be in safe hands in a gym or wherever they might end up next. Love it. Okay. And just with mm-hmm. your workshops, are they just in Melbourne? Are they all over Australia? How do they kind of work? Currently Melbourne-based. We okay. always um, ascertain interest from other cities just to, if we, you know, if we reach critical mass and it's yeah, it's yeah. possible for us to be somewhere. Um, but we we love our Melbourne workshops. They're really we provide the food and if you can imagine there's like it's in a yoga studio and people end up laying on the bolsters and snacking all day. We want to create a really enriching, um, relaxing learning environment rather than mm-hmm. a lecture style. So uh, if you are Melbourne-based or if you want to jump on a jet stream or any flight um, to Melbourne, we we take interstate people all the time. But also if you want us to come to your workplace, if you've got interest and lots of PTs who want to learn, that is another economical way of doing things. I love it. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, Jennifer, that's pretty much all I wanted to get through today. Is there anything I should have asked you but forgot, or is there anything you wanted to finish us off with? Ah, oh, that's a really thoughtful question. I would say if you're listening to this and you're thinking of clients and you're actually not even sure if they have an invisible illness. Oh, yeah. Good. Well, that's most- all I forgot to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I it had my notes, I I forgot. <laughs> a lot of time I present and people go, oh, my gosh, I'm thinking of this man, woman, person. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, this, they're ticking every box. So I find that people are so open-minded. Don't worry, you're not going to put thoughts in the client's head or have a self-fulfilling prophecy. You, you could, I feel like, comfortably in this day and age, say to the person, have you heard of a condition called POTS? Or I've noticed that you have this you feel a lot worse after you have a lot in your schedule. Do you think there might be some type of fatigue going on for you? I reckon nine times out of 10, that person would have already started to have the question marks and they might be just validated. That could result in a referral to a GP or back to a health professional or just a bit of a a chat between the two of you about curiosity and open-mindedness. And also, if you're already seeing a client who has an invisible illness, I think the best thing we can do as health professionals and fitness professionals is just even share that you listen to a podcast and they spoke about yeah, this. So I looked up a little bit more about your condition. Do you ever have this symptom? Yeah. There's something about being seen and heard that is actually really therapeutic. So yeah. don't hesitate to ask the questions. I think people would be quite touched and it would be really good for your ongoing trust that you're building. Love it. Awesome. All right, Jennifer, thanks for your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Fitness Education Podcast. Before you leave, here's a message from our sponsors. Are you a fitness professional looking to provide your clients with personalized meal plans? Check out Mealsy, the ultimate solution for creating custom meal plans in just a few simple clicks. With Mealsy, you can say goodbye to countless hours spent on meal planning. Our Australian meal planning web app is designed to save you time and effort so you can focus on what really matters, your clients and their success. Mealsy provides you with a vast library of recipes all created by nutrition professionals. From breakfast to dinner and everything in between, we've got you covered. Whether you want to create a custom meal plan tailored to your client's needs or choose from our selection of ready-made meal plans, Mealsy has the flexibility to accommodate your preferences. So why waste precious time and energy creating meal plans from scratch? Let Mealsy do the heavy lifting for you, or you focus on delivering exceptional fitness services. 
Join the community of fitness professionals who have revolutionized their business with Mealsy. Visit our website at www.mealsy.com and sign up today. Mealsy, the smarter way to meal plan for fitness professionals.